All right. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Uh, tonight, we are going to be discussing a horror film that uh, sort of flew under the radar uh, when it came out in 2012. It, I think it did fairly well at Sundance, freaked a lot of people out. And so we're going to be discussing the 2012 film Excision. And uh, this movie was my selection. So in case you're new to watching our show, what we do is each of us, myself and my wonderful co-hosts, uh, in which tonight we have Shayra, Ben, and Jim, what we do is we select a horror film that we enjoy or something that we find particularly terrifying. And then we all get together and slice it open and excise the meat. We discuss the intellectual, psychological, fear-inducing elements. And in turn, this as a task, uh, kind of tells us a little bit about ourselves. It's informative. And since this film was my selection, we can clearly delineate the raging psychopathy underneath my uh, clearly strikingly attractive, lustful exterior. Because uh, that's the only way I could have selected this movie. It's the only way. Uh, it's exceedingly graphic and bloody and violent and sexual, often at the same time. Uh, just a great coming-of-age flick, if you ask me. Um, so what is Excision about? Excision, directed by Richard Bates Jr., which I believe this is his first film, uh, is, is about Pauline, a young 18-year-old uh, woman who lives with her family and her young sister, Grace, who has cystic fibrosis. Uh, Pauline has some issues. She has some delusions of being a great surgeon and some horrific dreams that serve to stimulate her. Um, so her family puts up with all of her delusions, her school and her classmates find her annoying and extremely socially awkward. Um, but as all of this is happening around her, she has a plan, a plan that is going to leave everybody shocked. All right. So that's the IMDb, uh, description, which I think, I think captures some of the film. Uh, it doesn't capture all of it. It's really hard to describe this movie. I noticed when I was, uh, sort of thinking about how best to describe it, if you haven't seen it, it it's, it's kind of a lot of things going on in this movie, but I selected this film because I thought it was unique. I mean, it's not really like any of the other horror films that we've discussed for the most part. It's, it's actually more of a dark comedy, I think, than anything else. It has like a ton of weird celebrity cameos in it. There's a lot of dry humor. Um, but ultimately, I think what I liked about Excision was sort of the inside out exploration of someone who clearly has a malformed psyche. Right. It's like watching a very twisted and amplified version of a transition we've all sort of gone through in high school. Right. Like there's a number of quintessential high school experiences in this film. The first time you have sex, most people, it's in high school. Right. For me, it was last week. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, for most people, it's in high school. Right. Like the social awkward phase, you know, engaging with your peers and, and sort of these common transitionary experiences that are supposed to catapult you into adulthood. And all of these are viewed through the lens of someone who's riddled with psychopathy. Um, you know, the dream sequences, I think, in particular, highlight this. If you think of the dream sequences, they show um, really the disconnect, I think, between Pauline's mind and the real world. You have these very, her dreams, in her dreams, rather, you have these very clean, uh, sterile sequences with really beautiful people, naked people, and it's com combined with blood and carnage and violence, right? And I, I think when you think about it, that's sort of Pauline's world when she wakes up, when she's outside of the dream. It's very clean, quintessential white family, uh, uh, you know, beautiful people, nice looking house, good social standing, cotillion class for God's sakes. Like, I, like I, I'd heard that before, but I actually had no idea what cotillion was. Like I, I've heard that word throughout all my life and I'm like, that's a dance or something, right? Like what, anyway, it's cotillion class. Uh, so so underneath all of that though, is, a, is like a raging, um, a, a raging ego and an inflated sense of ego and psychopathy, a disdain for people, uh, um, 
and I think it quite explicitly at some point in the film is is addressed as kind of an unrecognized mental disorder. So her dreams to some extent, I think mimic real life. They're sort of the key to understanding, I think the bigger picture of what's going on in Pauline's world. And so I like this movie. I thought it was very well acted. I thought even more so it was well written. There's really good dialogue in this movie, um, especially given that the film paints a somewhat bland, you know, typical suburban family. There's actually a lot of complexity to the characters in their interactions, even in their blandness, which I thought was interesting. Like a good example is Pauline's mom, uh, her relationship with her mom. Uh, and I had no idea who Tracy Lords was until this film. And I, I have not Googled Tracy Lords at all. I just want to throw that out there. No idea who it was, but I did not Google Tracy Lords whatsoever. Apparently she's an actress. That's all, I, that's all I'm going to say. So, um, so yeah, I, I felt like the acting was really great. Uh, the actress who played Pauline, Anna Lynn McCord, I thought was phenomenal. So I, I felt like this film had just enough meat to be on our list. Um, it's obviously a far from perfect film, as I'm sure we'll discuss. Uh, one of my criticisms is that there really was no clear direction for a lot of the movie. I felt like the ending, it was definitely shocking, but I wish I would have felt the lead up a little more. It, it, it just felt a little out of place, given maybe some of the humor in the rest of the film. It was very serious and somber, the ending, but I... And, and it was powerful, but it just, given everything else, I, I, getting there was a little a uh, little rough for me. So anyway, I'm jumping way ahead of myself, as I always do when I do these intros. Um, I like this film. I selected it. What did you guys think of the movie overall? Just general thoughts. Well, I, I would like to say that one of my favorite things that Alfred Hitchcock brought to us was the idea of taking the mundane, the safe, the happy place and showing you that it can be a fucked up place. And so I always appreciate any film that goes to suburbia and fucks it all up. So um, I appreciate that aspect of this film very much so. Um, but I, I think with Pauline, um, I get the same vibe as I get from Napoleon Dynamite. Um, for the longest time, I guess through the 80s and 90s, we had films where the, the nerd was somebody who was really sweet and wonderful and great. And all the popular people were pieces of shit. And you're always wanting the underdog to, you know, to win. We can tell that that's the better person. That's the good person. But from my experience, um, usually the people that were like that were considered that way because they were extremely antisocial, did stuff that was really inappropriate and weird and strange that like messed with people. And, um, so I was when I watched Napoleon Dynamite, I was like, this is accurately putting what a dork would be like, you know, uh, this is exactly how the dorks are. And um, Pauline fit that, too. Uh, she might have gone a little bit further than Napoleon Dynamite, of course. But I do appreciate um, showing what an antisocial person would probably more so look like. Um, they're not just like someone who happens to wear glasses and you take it off and they're like, Oh, look, now she's hot and she's so sweet and great. And now the popular boy notices her. Um, we, uh, we get comments here at Deadly Analysis all the time. Every time you take off your glasses, it, it's just I just want to throw that out there. And Jim sudden, and Jim. Boom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so hot. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> the true coming of age film, right? And <laughs> just remove the glasses. Well, what's great about this film is they actually played with that a little bit. There was that one moment on the bleachers where, or maybe it's not the bleachers. It was it was at Cotillion where she sits next to a girl and she takes off her glasses, uh, Pauline does, and then says, have you ever thought about having work done? So you're almost expecting that she saw that kind of moment, but then it subverts it immediately. And <clears throat> one of the things that this film did really well is, is, is 
play with one's expectations, play with the idea of where we keep expecting a redemptive moment for this person. And in her head, I think at the end, we do get a redemptive moment, but uh, from any sort of objective or moral understanding of what she does by at the end of the film, uh, no, of course not. Of course, it's not a, a, a moral decision. So it is kind of, it, it's always, this film is good at subverting one's expectations about the generic conventions of this high school coming of age film. I mean, I've definitely got to say that, um, like, really, my my takeaway here, the way that you guys are explaining it so far makes it sound much better than than I kind of had it set up in my mind. You know, if you say that it's really good at subversion, that's that's actually a really interesting point um, that adds a layer of complexity that perhaps I not had not considered. Um, but so far through watching this film, um, twice even, and I have to say that it was better the second time, but I struggled to figure out what exactly the point was. I was trying to figure out, okay, so what is this really trying to say? Is there a message here? You know, what is the ultimate takeaway from this sort of character study of this girl who grows up with some kind of unnamed mental disorder? Most of the film I was thinking, okay, maybe she's maybe she's just a little awkward. Maybe she has like Asperger's and that's kind of like the point here. You know, maybe she doesn't like take care of herself very well and she just doesn't have these kinds of connections with with people and this this sort of emotional bond and this empathy that lets you understand what's going on around you at that level but no i mean it takes it to this very strange place and i think noah did mention that at the very end of the movie did seem a little bit disconnected but then again when i think back to what you're saying here you know maybe maybe it is this subversion thing and, and you definitely see her begin to cry as her mother embraces her at this moment when you when, when her masterpiece is revealed but it does just seem kind of I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just not understanding it fully. But right now, um, I think that there's something that this really left. Um, I don't know. This left out. There's there's something missing here. I think for this movie for me. Well, I I, I would like to say as a girl who grew up with a mother who was very similar <laughs> to the woman who plays the mother in this, I was. Like, I was watching this and I was like, holy crap, it's my mom. <laughs> like, this is my mom to a T. Um, but uh, also the thinking that a preacher is a good enough psychologist for her. There was a lot of stuff where I was like, holy crap, this is my family. <laughs> this is creeping me out. Um, of course, my my dad was not like the dad in this. My dad was way worse. But um, the, the thing that was interesting that I took away from this is if someone is needing psychological help and they're trying to reach out to you and saying, I need psychological help. I need psychological help. I need psychological help. Maybe fucking listen to them because they might need some psychological help. And a pastor is not good enough. But also, um, I've been watching a lot of serial killer um, documentaries as of late. And one of the things I've noticed is a lot of serial killers tend to have these overbearing moms that are just a little passive aggressive. They're not like super abusive, but they're just neglectful. They don't pay attention to things. They're constantly writing you about the most mundane things, but don't pay attention to the actual important stuff that's going on in your life. And um, so she has the perfect combination of things to become a killer you know to be someone who kills and not really understand why it's such a horrible thing she's trying to help you know um and be helped 
So I don't know. I'm, I don't know if that's a point though. I, I didn't, when, when my husband asked what the movie was about, cause I was like, you should watch it. I was like, it's about this girl. Um, she's a girl. She, she's growing up and she's in high school. I really don't know how to explain this. <laughs> so I didn't know how to explain it myself. Yeah. I mean, I think Noah did, did a yeoman job at the beginning. And I was, I was really interested in his, uh, in his, in his introduction so that I could learn what the movie was about, even though I watched it. Um, and that was, I, 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 okay. So I think there are, I want to respond to a couple points that both Ben and, and you, Shayra, brought up. Um, one is, I think what this film is lacking, um, and maybe it is, maybe it is intentional that this is not in it, but I nevertheless think it's necessary. It's lacking a save the baby moment. Um, and the best uh, description, the best example that I can give of this is inside Lewin Davis. Um, Lewin Davis as a character is a, a complete fucking asshole. We, we hate him throughout the entire movie. He always does a moral shit, but he has a cat he takes care of. And because we see him... Um, have some sort of compassion toward the cat, we're able to forgive the rest of his bullshit and we're able to attach ourselves to the character. When we take a look at Pauline, there's no point in the movie which she has a, she has a moment where she expresses a, a genuine empathic human emotion, something to which we can attach our sympathy. And it's, and the screen in, in screenwriting parlance, it's in the beginning, if you're gonna have an anti-hero, make sure you have a moment where the character saves a baby or does well, something good. She has, she has good. a scene like that with her sister. Right? Where's, her, where's her save the baby moment? Well, I, I think she had a, if, if by save the baby moment, we're talking about at least displaying some modicum of empathy. There's a scene where she's talking to her sister who's has cystic fibrosis. And I think her sister says something kindly to her and she kind of looks, she's kind of taken aback, Pauline is, and, and um, you know, has kind of a, 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 like a singular moment with her sister where she's taken aback and it's almost like she's enjoying her time and, and whatever time she has left with her sister. Like it, there was a, there was a love moment. Now I, I see right. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that's, it's her sister. Her sister is the save the baby. Now I agree with you that like, I agree with you that like, um, this would, I, I don't think that was necessary. I, I like the idea of not having the save, like that didn't bother me. Like having a completely, having a character completely removed and emptied of empathy can be part of a, it can, can make the film better, can make the film, it can make the entirety of the film. It's, it's unique in that sense also, but, uh, I, I, getting from point A to point B was my was my uh, criticism of this film. Navigating, trying to go, yeah, like what is this about? I, I I I think it had something to do with with psychology and adolescence and and coming of age with a malformed psyche. But it's like, okay, but what's the point of that? Like, how do we? Th there really wasn't anything to hang that on. I guess is what I'm uh, is my criticism. It, it just sort of felt like, eh, okay, well. I couldn't tracking what this was really all about just didn't really work for me. But I, I don't need a, I don't know. I, I didn't need a, a save the baby moment for me. It would, that wouldn't have done anything except made me film, made me feel like this film was formulaic. I think this was structured similarly to PSAs. 
Um, I don't know if you guys remember PSAs where they would try to tell you not to do drugs or, you know, try to warn you of things. This felt like a warning to parents to pay attention to your children, to listen to them. It felt like a PSA and the ending ended exactly like the end of a PSA. You know what I mean? Maybe a little bit more graphic, obviously, but you know, the, the embrace of the mom and, and daughter and the um, screaming and the upsetness. Um, but the thing is, is that does that work for a film? Maybe this one, just because it's extremely campy. It is meant to be a comedy. It has cameos from people like John Waters and Malcolm McDowell. And it's just kind of surreal. I mean, you have someone from Twin Peaks in there just randomly. <laughs> like, you, you know, it's going to save some of that water for it. It's like, what is going on with this film? It's really out there. So it might work for it. But did it have a point? I don't know. It wasn't very okay, clear. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. So, so to go ahead and connect to that PSA thing, I, I think I, I want to throw it to a comment that was just made in the chat. Um, seems very apropos. Um, so uh, Halcyon, uh, Galen, says that sometimes even a supposedly qualified doctor in hospitalization isn't even enough. One must be persistent with the mental health medical care regardless of age. Um, and I also want to say that um, I think for this film, it really goes back to regardless of gender as well, because I think if this was like a, a, a male, um, that kind of fits more into that, that stereotype that you might have of a serial killer, for instance, right? So if you saw this, this kid and it was a boy and, you know, he was picking up dead things out of the street, or if he wasn't connecting well with his peers, or he always talked about surgery or talked about getting an STD from, from uh, you know, contact with a dead body. Um, I think that would throw up red flags enough that that help probably would have been there, that somebody would have said, okay, this kid's kind of a freak. You know, we really need to have more attention paid to this because this isn't normal. But maybe that really wasn't there. Maybe a point can be drawn that perhaps that can be overshadowed when that doesn't fall into the particular demographic or the profile that you might expect. Yeah, yeah, no one a expects a girl to be that way, I guess. But they, I mean, they can be. But I don't think it is expected. And I think that's why this film is so bizarre in a lot of ways. Because usually it is a guy who's playing that kind of character. And that's one of the reasons why it was so interesting having, you know, Alex from Clockwork Orange all of a sudden be a teacher in this. It's it's kind of reflecting back to that. Like these antisocial, don't give a fuck type teenagers that are just doing whatever the hell they want. Um, but it's a girl this time, and she's pretty frightening. <laughs> like, she may not have a gang, but she's pretty frightening. Um, I think going outside of the box is kind of a fun way that you can make horror an interesting thing and, and go further. And I know I have not seen any other films by this director, but I know that he's expanded on this idea. And I've actually heard of the titles of those movies as opposed to this one. So I'm wondering if he expanded on this and made it better. Um, and I probably will be checking out his other films after this. Jim, you had you had mentioned that you can you said this movie on Twitter, the films you connected it to, you said it was like um, to, what what did you say it was like? I said, if you ever wondered if uh, Hannibal Lecter was featured in Mean Girls, then join our discussion for excision. Um, and that was, yeah, I, I connected it to like Mean Girls, but with uh, Hannibal Lecter as the main character. Yeah, this 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 movie it gives uh, provides people with an attempt to try and be like, what is this movie about? So like like Bloodbath and Beyond on theirs on their channel said it was like Juno meets Requiem for a Dream, which I. I had to really work for that one, but okay. Uh, but yeah, it's I. This film is, I think, meant to, it's it's weird, right? Because 
it is um, it is a, an exploration from the inside out of a person that's it to me seeing is seeking a, a kind of connection, even though through her non-connection. I mean, her parents are deeply flawed. They they don't like Pauline. Her pairs, her peers rather, cannot be connected to. Um, you know, uh, there's a kind of. Uh, Fun, uh, funny slash tragic distinction in this film. You know what I mean? I, 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 like, like a quintessential dark comedy has. Uh, you know, and the the sad thing at the end is that the mother's actually lost both of her daughters, right? And throughout the rest of the film, all of the little quirks and the little things between Pauline and her mom and her sister are kind of seen as weird and odd and humorous. And at the end, it just becomes unbelievably somber. And I, it, it's really hard, I think, to connect a film in a way that has those sorts of very diverse like that just diverse range of, oh, that that was, I mean, there's scenes in that movie that are just outright hilarious. And then there are scenes that are just morbid and crazy graphic and serious, you know? And that kind of navigation is 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 really difficult. I, I feel like the humor in this film was meant to serve as a kind of misdirection, you know? But it, it just, it became more of the film than I think it should have been. It's almost like we think of a Tarantino film, um, like Pulp Fiction, maybe where it, it's there's just absolutely hilarious scenes in it, and then it, there's really serious stuff in it too, right? Really uh, the sequences of extreme violence in it, but it's also hilarious. So, I don't know the the dance between those sorts of uh, things has to be done uh, with care, and this film I think did one of those things with care, and the other it it just got overshadowed. So. In that sense, it's hard to really sit here and go, yeah, like, what was the, like, how do you describe this film? What was it really about? I, I think at the end of the day, maybe we could say that it's, um, you know, it's about, uh, again, a malformed psyche, a person who, who, whose autonomy just becomes her own lunacy, right? Um, she non-conforms to lengths that are downright psychopathic, Um but what else to gain from that? I the PSA thing I I, I didn't get. I, I wish I would have got that because that would have given me a little more to hang things on. Um, for me, it was just kind of a story. It didn't really have something behind. But maybe maybe that's the point, right? Let me get like super poetic here for a minute. Like maybe that's the point. The point is that we look for the narrative. We look for the meaning. We look for like yeah, there was no like where was the save the baby moment? Where was this? Where was that? Like maybe the point is that there are people to which those things that they, they don't conform, right? Maybe the film doesn't conform to these things in a way that's satisfying to us. And we look for those things. We're looking at the wrong things. We're looking the wrong way, much like Pauline's parents were. That's, that's the, that's the deepest I'm going to get all night. I hand it over to you guys. Well, I, I mean, I think you're on to something there. I mean, I, when you were starting to talk, I, I, I almost tweeted out that it was, uh, it was Wes Anderson um, does a horror film because there were kind of like these symmetrical shots and some of the comedy was, was Wes Anderson-y. Um, at least I, I saw it that way. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you're hitting on the idea that this film is trying to subvert expectations. But the problem that I think a lot of us are running into is that some of those expectations are there for a reason. We have traditional story structure for a reason. We have save the baby moments in films so that we can then attach ourselves to the 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 journey of the protagonist in a lot of the throughout a lot of this film i thought why should i care about these people all of them suck and so 
if that is if if that is my relationship to the characters in your film, then I'm not going to feel bad when bad things happen to them. Uh, I need you didn't to have feel some- bad for that dad. God, did I feel bad for that dad. I felt bad for the dad. Like, that's literally the only sympathetic character in the entire movie, I think. And even he is not... I, I mean, he's almost disinterested and and kind of milquetoast as a character. And and that he's, he's kind of... I don't want to say the word that I'm thinking, but he's kind of... He's, he's kind of... There's a cowardice to him. Um, that I'm not, that makes me less sympathetic toward him. But that's um, exactly how a man would be if he was with a wife like that. She is extremely overbearing and overpowering. She is the, the person behind everything. Um, she's the reason why the kids are the way they are. This is the reason why the younger daughter is actually sweet and empathetic because her mom treats her with sweetness and love because she feels bad for her for having CF. But like, the way that she treats her husband and the way that she treats her eldest daughter is why they behave the way they do. And of course they have to take responsibility for their own actions. Of course that, but they're reacting to her. And I think the main antagonist to this entire film is the mom. I think she's the problem. And I know it comes across as like the crazy chick who's into blood and gore might be the scary person, but uh, I think the mom Maybe it's just a personal thing, but I think the mom's the bad guy personally because she's the one that fucks everybody shit, up. I agree <laughs> with you. Yeah, I mean, I you're not wrong. I I mean, the mother is a a monstrous character in this, and it is kind of, I I mean, you alluded to this earlier, Noah, but it is kind of funny that the porn star plays the uh, rather Christian. Uh, uh, fundamentalist mother. That's that's kind of an interesting, once again, subversion of expectations. But of course, John the pastor Waters, she goes to is John Waters. John church. Waters <laughs> is the pastor. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, Alex from Clockwork Orange is the is the teacher. Leland, who killed his daughter in Twin Peaks, is the I don't know the actor's name. I should look that up. Uh, is the is the 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 principal. <laughs> of the school. Yeah. I mean, this is all subversion of expectations in really interesting ways. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do want to let's, so I guess, I, I mean, Shara, since you see the, the mother is the antagonist and I don't, I, I think you're right there, but what is you, you alluded to this earlier. You said that, the, that she doesn't pay attention to Pauline or can you, I, I just, uh, what is her damage? I guess so, is the question. Okay, so this was the the interesting thing that I noticed, and this is exactly how my mom was, by the way. Um, so there were certain things that Pauline would do that don't matter, like going to this dance thing was completely, why are you forcing your daughter to go to this? Why are you forcing her to wear a dress? Like she's pushing these things on her as if she's uh, an attentive parent that's trying to make her daughter better. But um, I don't know if you remember the scene when they're driving home from school and she's like tell me two things about your day and pauline's like no i don't want to talk to you about this like i don't want to pretend like we have a relationship you know and uh, the mom stops the car and is like i'm not leaving until you tell me two things about your day and she still wouldn't do it and then she finally was like okay i know how i can, I can get you to talk about it and lays on the horn about her day but she said two things but it didn't really say anything it was like oh, i did this homework project and this homework project and the mom's like okay fine she just needs to feel like she's an attentive parent. She needs to feel like she's doing what she's supposed to do. 
but she's not actually doing it. She's not actually taking care of her kids. She's not asking how her actual day was, how her interactions with others are, if she's having any problems with social interactions. And as a mother of teen, I know how those actual conversations are supposed to go. You're supposed to actually figure out what's really going on in your kid's life and understand the things they're going through, this drama. Care. care is, I think, yeah, you're supposed to care for them, right? Care, like, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> she I, doesn't care. No, she doesn't. It, it's a conformity to what you should be as a mother, right? Like what you're supposed to do. It's a, she was a placeholder mother and, and I got to do this, I got to do that. It's conformity to like a structure not really caring about Pauline. So maybe that's what some of the film needed to be. And it was so obvious, like so strong with Tracy Lord's character that like, Maybe that was some some of the lesson to be learned in this. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. All I'm I know not is to be I, a shitty parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 all, all I know is that's why I selected the film. All of my films have shitty moms, shitty parents. They're all fucked up. The parents are either blurred out, you can't see them, or when they're present, they're not present. Like, and let me in, let the right one in, and it follows. You don't see them. And then in this one, they're just complete and utter terrible people. So I, uh, we, we've sort of in the last few podcasts sort of walked away from sort of like analyzing ourselves in light of our horror films. But it's interesting that without really even trying to think about it, like I, I just selected films that I thought were good and they all tend to have these same sorts of things in it. So uh, it says a lot about me. It's really weird and interesting, you know? Um, I don't know, I'm gonna sit here and just stare into the distance now and just like have all these realizations as you talk about my mom <laughs> and my personal life, but yeah. <laughs> the idea of a parent um almost like going through emotions um of how a parent's supposed to behave but they're not really doing it um yeah. and in a way that's what makes the mom the really antisocial one i don't know if you noticed whenever the dad would say something she would like cut him off and speak for him in something he wasn't even saying um is and i think that she's actually the one who's exhibiting the antisocial behavior on a on a level that's just downright abusive <laughs> to most of our family members. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I think you're right. I, I just sort of wanted, I wanted to tease out what it was that this, what was specifically at issue with this mother's, because I think the mother character is a really interesting character and it's sort of the linchpin to understanding the, the psychopathy um, associated with this film. And um, that's by, the moment, Jim. I'm sorry, yes. you just made me realize the baby moment. And she literally moment. turns into a baby. Do you remember when the mom is freaking out and screaming and saying she doesn't love her and making the dad choose between her and the daughter? That's the baby moment. And she's, and then you see Pauline crying in her room because her mom is saying she doesn't right. love her. Right, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because it's she and the dad are in the bedroom arguing and Pauline is outside huddled up in a ball on the ground, listening to their conversation. And it's the mother saying she is so fucking, she's impossible to love, I think is the exact quote. And that's probably, the, you're right. That is the save the baby moment. I mean, structurally it takes place too late in the film, but yes, that's the, <laughs> there is the save the baby moment. Noah's right as well that this, that, that um, the sister works as kind of a, a baby to be saved as well. But once again, structurally, it takes place way, way, way late in the film. And just as a point of fact, Ray Wise is the principal and Leland in, uh, I, I couldn't remember his name earlier, but I had to go back and and uh, and correct that. Ray Wise is the actor's name. But yeah, I think, I think you're right that that is the, that's the moment in the film in which we can have some sympathy toward Pauline and try to attach ourselves to, 
to her journey because it takes place too late in the film. So a lot of a lot of our goodwill has been has been expended by that point, though. I think I, as I'm structurally analyzing the film, that's what I see. Right. Under, under my analysis, I would say that that particular moment, I think it's I think it's crucial. I think it's really important to the development of the story. But I would say that it's more about Pauline's transformation than anything. If, if there's going to be a save the baby moment, I do think it makes more sense to think about that in terms of earlier in the film, when you're looking at her relationship with her sister and kind of like those subtle moments with this particular moment, I think that's kind of when you see sort of the full force of the sort of like the, if you want to call it societal pressure that Pauline is under and what really kind of like pushes her out to the extreme, because it's after that, that you really start to see her go off the deep end is when you see like this, this pure disconnect. And there is a moment after that, that even like her mom comes to her and like tries to make amends and really tries to talk to her and says, you know, my mother was this terrible person and it took me years and years to forgive her. I don't want that to be our relationship because I, like, I really think she has kind of like this self-awareness awareness moment where she sees that she's just sort of like passing on that negativity to the next generation. Um, but at that point, obviously we see that it's just a little bit too late and that Pauline's completely checked out because of the, I, I, if you can imagine the impact that that would have on a person hearing that from their parents. Um, so yeah, like I, I think I see that particular scene in just a little bit of a different light. If there is any empathy to be found with this character, it might for me simply be that, you know, we see this early in the film before anything gets too crazy. This girl who has this trouble connecting, maybe she feels a little bit outcast and you kind of see it as being sort of like this typical story where you have somebody that kind of like feels like a little bit of a, like a reject and like a loser and stuff. Right. You know, it, it seems like a very standard story until you start to get to some of this more crazy stuff. But yeah, like just, that that mother character I really see as being being kind of like the key in showing a transformation rather than hooking up our empathy and our sympathy with our sort of like anti-protagonists. Yeah, and I mean, think about it this way: the degree that her mom is the, is the antagonist in this, right? If anyone, the, the the tragedy of this film to me to me is that Pauline is really the only one who can see the crisis, right? Her own crisis, and the film presents you with. Uh, with the crisis in such a way that it is incredibly obvious to anyone who even cares remotely about Pauline. They should see this. They should see all of the signs. And there's so many scenes that indicate this. Scenes with the family, scenes with the school, scenes with the, the pastor. Everyone misses this, right? And who who to miss it more than the mom who she lives with every day? I, and I, I, you know, I, I may disagree with, uh, with, the sit down sequence where Tracy Lords is trying to say, hey, my mom was like that, you know, was a certain way with me and I couldn't forgive her. I think that was really just, this is so me saying this too. I, I really feel like that was just the mom's way of trying to fix not being a placeholder good mom. That was just another attempt at that. I, I don't think there was any real care or love for Pauline in that. I think that it was the realization that I'm turning into something that I don't want, as opposed to I love my daughter and I want her to feel safe and at home. I, I still think even then it was still all about it was still all about her and her who she is as like the matriarch, right, of the family. So the real shame in this film to me is is just how and to the the degree to which the mom truly is the antagonist is how obvious it was that Pauline was going through something extremely. Um, unsettling, unnerving, and obvious, something that was, there's clearly a problem, right? I, I, it's, uh, there's a film that kind of explores something like this with a male, uh, a male character. I, I, we've pro I think most of us have seen it. Um, we need to talk about Kevin. 
right? And this is a much more humorous take at, I think, a similar uh, a, a similar issue in a much more somber film. And uh, we need to talk about Kevin. But I, that's the tragedy, right? The tragedy here is like, how? why did we not see this? How did we not see this? And Pauline is the only one in this movie who can see her own issue. And not only that, she explicitly says what it is, right? Like, I have a problem. I need to go talk to a psychiatrist. But that's just interpreted and categorized and gathered as another, oh, Pauline, you're a t you're being Pauline, you're being a teenager, you know, you're just like every other teenager, that sort of thing. It's just sort of ingested into a perspective that um, that fails to see the significance of of something, of, of someone asking so desperately for help, you know? So yeah, I think if there was a tragedy in this film, it's that Pauline was the only one who could see the tragedy itself, so. Well, I mean, she tried reaching out to the pastor even when she went to go talk to him. She was like, I need a, a legit doctor. I need a psychiatrist, someone with a degree, someone who can give me medication. Nobody would listen to her. They're like, ah, you know, your parents, they don't have the money for that. Do, 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 do. Um, which seems kind of strange considering the giant mansion house they live in. Like, how do they not have the means or ability to get her to at least see a, a psychiatrist like for one sitting? Come on. Um, and then you see her saying, I don't even believe in you, God, but she's praying throughout the whole entire film. She keeps praying to God throughout the film. She's trying so hard to figure out a way to fix what's wrong with her, but she's not even upset about it because of what's wrong with her. She's just like, I probably should get help. Like, I don't know. It's just, I think something's wrong. Pretty sure well, that's, it's that's, this exact thing. <laughs> well, that's that's another that just underscores the extent to which this problem goes undiagnosed is that there are literally sequences where she's looking up at a figure that she, I think, even at some point believes for the most part is non-existent. Like there's some part where she says I something like I don't believe in you, but I'm praying anyway or something like that. Right. It, that's that's the track. That's even more the tragedy is that she'd ra she, she can only have these sort of sincere conversations with a thing that she doesn't think is there over and above her family, who are supposed to be the closest people in her lives. So the film, I think, does just a, a really poor job of making this clear. If this would have been a little more clear, a little more, um, if you would have felt it more, I feel like this film would have been much better, right? And, and But then we'd have a problem with how funny the damn film is. Be kind of a weird set of emotions to go back and forth from. So I'm not sure really what to think. I do see it as a criticism of the film, though, that this just wasn't very clear. Um, but I feel like the tragedy in it was clear. Um, yeah, I agree with, uh, with that, that the tragedy of, of the film was clear and yeah, I mean, I'm overall on this, on the same page, uh, about a lot of that. I think it's, it's almost like, I'm trying to figure out how to fix the film and it's not an easy thing to fix because I think that you have to rearrange a whole bunch of shit in order for this to, to dramatically track. And, and you're right that the tragedy of the film is that Pauline, Pauline actually diagnoses herself with, with a uh, borderline personality disorder. And I, I think I was, I was getting water or something and I, I heard her say that and I sort of turned around and said, no, yeah, that tracks, and then went to get my water. So I, I think, you know, she, I think she correctly diagnoses herself with the right disorder, but then doesn't, doesn't have the ability to get the treatment that she needs. And this sort of brings us back to the mother character because there's a point, there's a scene in which she says to the mother, I need a real psychiatrist, or no, 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 it's when the mother says, we have broken the bank and got you a real psychiatrist, but we can't get the appointment till next week. And 
looking at their suburban house, their cars, the everything, like the lives, all the 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 artifacts of the lives that they lead, it doesn't seem like this is a family that's living hand to mouth. Now, I could be mistaken about that. I mean, it's entirely possible that that they're in debt up to their eyeballs, but it, there's something there doesn't fit. So it brings us back to this being a the mother is the antagonist because my suspicion is that she could have found that money long time ago she had recognized the severity of pauline's problems yep yeah i i completely agree the more we're talking about it the more i'm i'm getting angry at her mom her mom not my hers i'm not gonna go that far tonight her mom uh i did have a question for ben i I was thinking about this um while i was watching this film we've done a, a few movie reviews and discussions and analysis on on different films that have um sociopaths that have crazy people in it um, how would you, I mean, w- the, l- let's take the distinction between maybe, um, uh, Joseph from Creep and, and Pauline from, from this film. Can you kind of discuss the distinction between sociopathy and psychopathy? I, I was doing my best to try and recall from my very, very undergraduate psychology degree, the distinction between those two things in light of some of these films and kind of how one stood out against the other. Um, was it so? I guess I'll, I'll ask: Was it right for them to call Pauline a psychopath as opposed to a sociopath? So one thing that I really want to highlight there is that I'm pretty sure that sociopath and psychopath aren't clinically recognized disorders, and so that's more of kind of like a social distinction. Um, you do hear it fairly popularly, and everyone kind of talks about it in different ways. And I think the distinction really comes down to, you know, for a sociopath, you might say that they they have some of those similar disconnections from people in terms of like the empathy and stuff like that. But the psychopathy is you see definitely like more of the violent behavior. Perhaps they understand the perspective of of others, but they would use that ability and their lack of emotional connection to be manipulative and, you know, and do certain very harmful things. But again, that's, that's not really a clinical distinction. Um, So as far as like actually applying a categorization to this individual in this film, I don't really know that I could, could do that. Um, you know, when you say that, you know, perhaps she has borderline personality disorder and, and she's characterized herself with that. I think there are elements of that, you know, for instance, like in a, you know, efforts to avoid kind of like abandonment, you know, this this obsession with that sort of element of interactions or, you know, distorted uh, views of the self. Like, obviously, when she keeps talking about herself as a surgeon and has all of these dreams of herself, you know, looking quite different than she looks in real life or, you know, a, a pattern of uh, unstable relationships with the family. Like, I mean, you have all of these elements there, but I think there is something fundamentally sort of different about the way they present her character and its lack of affect, I think, that really dominates her personality. Um, you see every everything she does is is calculated. And so for that reason, I would say that, you know, yes, I, th- I think she would probably be typecast more as a a person with um, sort of like social kind of like personality disorder, maybe a little bit dissociated. But in terms of comparing her to, let's say, Joseph from Creep, um, I, I think she's probably going to be a little bit more disorganized than that. So, you know, he seems to presumably have his life together. You know, he has enough uh, financial stability to to rent these cabins and so on and so forth and, you know, put out this bait and really has kind of like a methodical approach to to this, but seems to be able to keep everything, you know, in line. Whereas with, 
with Pauline, like it, it seems to completely wreck her life. She seems so disorganized and so overwhelmed by all of these impulses that there's a, a very clear lack of control. Um, and that's something you see maybe with like late stage serial killers. It's where it's, you know, they're, they're prolific for a time, but then they have these, these moments where they just go into an extreme unorganized period of, of violence and sort of end up getting themselves caught. Um, I think, I think that's kind of the distinction there is that where one of them might be more organized and more controlled, the other is just completely overwhelmed by everything that's going on. Um, so, you know, as, as somebody who might try to make a distinction between sociopathy and psychopathy, I would say that Pauline would be more of the sociopath, whereas Joseph would be more of the psychopath. Really, that's interesting. I mean, she's certainly more ego-driven, ego I feel like. When I, when I think of Joseph, Joseph's definitely like a manipulator in his film. But I, I think a lot of that also is the story. I, I think he has more room to be a manipulator. His goal is a little loftier. He's got his own cabin. He's out, you know, he's, he's doing his own thing. He has more freedom. Um, so he's more of a manipulator, whereas I feel like Pauline is just, is um, is I think, just trying to make shit work for the most part, you know what I mean? Um, I, there's, but she's definitely more of a narcissist, right? Like she has, look at my stitching. I did this perfect stitching and, and uh, you know, she had a little bit of an ego there that I don't think is as palpable in, in Joseph. See, um, I didn't see that as ego really? at all. I saw that as her trying to win over her mother's love because her mother said she's mm. impossible to love. So she was trying to get her mom to be like, impressed with her ability to stitch everything back up. Like, I think she was trying to win her mother over to her side. Um, and she knew that her mother loved her sister more than anybody or anything. So if she fixed her sister and did perfect stitching on her sister, then maybe her mom would finally love her. So I I, I don't see her as being uh, a person who is trying to be a jerk. Like the only time she got violent with people was when they were drawing dicks on her house and, and you know, toilet papering her house and harassing her and slut shaming her. That's the only time she got violent with some people. And then with the end... She she was just trying to save her sister's life. And she figured, well, that bitch has always been a bitch to me and she's been bullying me and drew a dick on my house. So she's expendable, um, <laughs> you know? So um, I, I don't see her as a violent person or an angry person per se. I think she reacted to bullying and I think she was just trying to win over her mother's love. Whereas um, with someone say like what we see in Dexter, um, I feel like he ha had a need to want to kill people. I don't think Pauline was trying to kill people. I think she was just like, oh, this is this will be an effective way to keep my sister alive. And then my mom will love me. And then my sister will be alive and she won't die. And everything will be great. Um, so I don't know. That that was the way I interpreted it. I think she had a, a good place in her heart, but it was very uh, <laughs> not a well thought out plan <laughs> at all. I, I think she, I mean, <clears throat> I've got to differ in the sense that I think she is violent uh, socially. Like, I think that some of her reactions to her mother and to her, her father in some cases and to her peers and to her, uh, to, to all of the people at school, there is a violence in there, not physical violence, of course, you're right there, but I think there's you can be violent to somebody without being physically uh, without physically harming another person. So I, I do think that there's there's a, a I'll give you this. In She's a bitch. But uh, well, there you go. further from that, like she didn't exhibit anything of like 
wanting to harm others uh, yes. physically. I mean, she's not killing animals like uh, like we would see in some serial killers. She's not doing... You're right on, on all of that. But I do think that... Look, I don't want to be around that Pauline, okay? Like, I don't want her to be my friend. You're part of the problem, uh, Jim. You're part of the problem. I... Well... So problem i no i'm not part of the problem because i will pay my all of my tax dollars or even even more of my tax dollars to get her the help and mental health care that she absolutely needs so no i uh but yeah i i, I mean one thing i did want to go back to when we were talking about the difference between psychop uh psychopathy and sociopathy is that like her interactions with other, like Joseph's interactions with social conventions writ large are such that he's trying to manipulate social conventions for his his own amusement or gain or personal satisfaction. I think Pauline is trying to av avoid social conventions. I think there's a lot of, I think she's pushing back upon the, which she sees as the stupidity of all social conventions. And that, I, I think that makes her, that's the, that's the main difference between those two characters for me. I mean, Ben, you look like you want to say something. So my first thought there is that I'm, I'm not entirely sure that I'm ready to, you know, of course, this is just a character that somebody has written in, you know, all the caveats around that. Right. So I, I don't necessarily know that I would believe that somebody like this is, purposefully trying to push back against society i think it's more likely the case that she you know does indeed have a lack of the drives and awareness that other people might have and so this would be very very true to case like this would be like somebody like this um just acting naturally without having the the impulses that most other people would have to behave in certain ways just to make that distinction yeah, that's a you're right there. That's a that's a that's a, a fair distinction to make too. Yeah, I'll I'll. So I I think the best way to get into uh what exactly drives her goes with the sex scene. I think that is absolutely necessary to discuss when when we're discussing what drives her. Um, she turns eighteen, and she's determined to do the coming of age thing. You you become sexual, but um she does it in a way that's very bizarre. And I think that's a really important part of her character. So um, she wants to lose her virginity while on her period. That is important to her for some reason. Um, and she does go for the most popular, most attractive, uh, wealthy boy in school. And she's very direct with him. She goes to him, gives, gives her phone number to him and says, um, I, I want to lose my virginity to you. And and you you get at that scene and you're like that's fucking weird and he even looks at her like she's weird and you don't think anything of it you're just like okay they're just trying to establish her character but he does eventually call her and say okay let's do this um I got a hotel and they make plans to make a date for her to lose her virginity and she goes to the hotel uh, on her period ready to lose her virginity to the popular boy in school and he has no idea that she's on her period. And um, it it gets really weird. <laughs> I don't know how to talk about this part. So um, you see the difference between what is reality and what is her fantasy. And I think that's such an important aspect of who she is. So um, 
when we see the reality, you see that they're having sex and he's like, oh, you know, you're, you're very wet. Um, but in her fantasy, she's on top of him instead of being on the bottom. She has blood everywhere. There's blood all over the mattress and she's like super sexy, but it's bloody as all holy hell. Um, and then they cut to her and she's like bored, kind of like, you know, cleaning out her eye, like just whatever. Um, and then at one point she says, I want you to go down on me. He does it for a short time, gets up, goes and looks in the mirror because he could tell there's something wrong and sees blood all over his face. Um, and he's horrified and runs away. And she's like, this was perfect. That was the most perfect day ever. She's like smitten and happy. And it was like the greatest moment of her life. Um, and it freaked him the hell out. He was scared and freaked out. And then when she got around her mom, her mom didn't even question what might have happened at this date. It's pretty obvious to any mom that something sexual probably went down on this situation. And the mom's just like, okay. Well, I think like but a I, nice but I, guy. But yeah, but that's I think the I think it's hinted that the mom sort of knew what was up, but because it also conforms to like, oh, my daughter's 18, that's a good-looking boy, they're going to go study. It's all conformity to like really obvious teenage-esque sorts of things. And so the mom digs that. The mom this is what a mom is supposed to do. This is what a daughter is supposed to do, and that is triumphant to Pauline's mom. Now with Pauline, I think you hit on something really important. There's always one thing off with Pauline. Pauline has, for the most part, normal desires, except for one little tweak of a thing that fucks it up. It's almost like you made the perfect meal, but then you just took, opened the fucking thing of salt and just poured it all over the food, right? It, having sex when you're 18, getting a hotel with the most popular boy in school. There are a lot of 18-year-old girls right now that that's something that's in the realm of things that they want to do. Those are normal desires for the most part. Right. What tweaks the shit out of that is I really want that person to have oral sex with me when I'm on my period. That's kind of all right. That's, you know, and to enjoy the the that particular part as opposed to maybe the just the sexual sensations like it's it's about this other thing first. And the sexual experience with the most popular guy in school is secondary. That's the malformed shit. That's the shit that's off. And we see that in these other areas in the film too with her. So, you know, it's it's like the it's that that's the appeal is that I think the film gives you somewhat of, a, and I think that's some of the empathy part too that maybe I missed with now that I'm thinking about it is like a lot of the desires are you can you can get on board with a lot of them. Oh, I want to be a surgeon. Uh, I want to save my sister. Uh, you know, I uh, I want to have sex for the first time. I want to do it. But just there's always something. There's always something off with each of those desires. And I think the important point about that is it's the, the reason I think she's so happy about that is because it's the closest time that reality and her fantasies, her really fucked up macabre fantasies are, are that that's the, that's the point in the movie in which they're most closely related. There's blood in her fantasies. She feels sexy in her fantasies and in what happens in that hotel room, there's blood and she feels kind of sexy every now and then. Um, it, and, and so I think that one of the reasons that motivates her is trying to make reality fit with these really weird macabre intercut, uh, uh, intercut dreams. And, you know, even in the dream in the surgery scene, she sees it as though she performed the surgery uh, correctly. And then of course we see the reality where both of the patients are dead. Um, 
I guess I'm starting to, as we're sort of talking about her psychology, I'm starting to think that she has some dissociative issues um, in, in being able to separate uh, the desires in her dreams and, and being critical about the desires in her dreams and separate those dreams from the, uh, the reality of the social interactions with other people. Um, once again, Ben, you're the psychologist of the or <laughs> the person who studied psychology. Yeah, Ben. Ben has. Ben, what is it, Ben? You have four PhDs. Side. You have two sides for you. What is that? No, I'm, just, I'm just joking. <laughs> Five actually, and uh, 15 publications and major journals. Um, just throw that out there. Hey, one thing I'll hand to this film is how absolutely ugly they made this Pauline. If you've ever, have you seen the actress in her life? She's gorgeous. They really. I, I, it's. It's it was awesome to see how nasty they made her. That was that was just great. A lot of people complained about how over the top it was, but the thing of the matter is, if you don't wash your face, if you're not washing your hair, if you're not um, you know, cleaning yourself, you're going to smell bad. Your hair is going to be greasy and um stick out a little. Um it's you you're going to have pimples really bad. And um I think one of the most hilarious moments for this film for me was and my husband brought this up too when he watched it you have a very beautiful woman playing an ugly woman playing an ugly woman trying to be a beautiful woman at one point and uh the you know the mom trying to help put the makeup on her to make her look pretty and it she looks a little better but you could tell she's ugly under it but you know for real she's actually hot and you're like whoa yeah, that's <laughs> my wild. Head's that's wild. Explode. but it, it was so well done and a lot of people when they think of um makeup and art and you know the people that are doing effects and stuff um you you think of a creature or something like really elaborate but i really have to commend the people that did the makeup for this for this character very very believable to me because i've seen <laughs> people who are not bathing often and how they look um so it it looked true to that it the pimples looked like pimples um I think the only thing that the makeup person did not pay attention to is when she pierced her own nose and then took it out and there's no hole there Super the rest clean. of the movie. Yeah. Like, um, but I, that is me being ridiculous about it. But you no, know, I, I do have to commend the people who did the makeup for this girl because she is absolutely gorgeous in real life. And in her dream sequences, you can see how absolutely gorgeous she is um, and uh, what she could look like if she was made over and look, had the model makeup. Make well, I think I, I think this is important too, because you know, one of the things I, I noticed throughout the entirety of the film is the thing that always stands out with Pauline is her hair. Her hair is terrible. It's matted. It's not brushed at all. And nobody says anything to her about it. This goes back to that, like something is obviously amiss, but we're just going to skip it, ignore it and just roll our eyes. Oh, Pauline, why are you this way? Oh, Pauline. Right. Uh, I, I think uh, the more we're talking about this movie, the more I'm maybe starting to, to, to hang my hat on the idea that um, it's really easy to overlook the obvious um, and and not not want to see uh, problems maybe with your kids, however we want to cash this out. I think that's part of the issue with the film is that it wasn't particularly clear. But the more we're talking, I feel like the more clear it's sort of getting that there's these very obvious things wrong with Pauline in her appearance, with her hair, with the way she acts, uh, explicitly saying, here's the problem I have, and it's just all overlooked. You know, even down, even down to things in her appearance, even, even when she's dressed up like that, it goes that far. Like even when the mom, they're going to Gatillion and shit and they're all getting dressed up, her hair still looks awful. They never, they never mess with her hair. And like you put all this lipstick on her, you gave her a dress, put makeup on her, but they, her hair was no different. 
right? I think that's important. I think that that's in there for a reason. Still this thing we're going to overlook. We're just going to slap on things that make Pauline conform to a particular sort of look. You're supposed to look this way when you go to a social setting, when you go to cotillion, right? I think it's my least favorite word in the English dictionary is cotillion. I'm sorry. I don't know why. The more I say it, the more angry I'm getting. Just an angry word. It needs to be like guppy. That's my favorite word, guppy. But anyway, um, you know, so but it's like really obvious. We need to talk about Pauline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so it's, I, maybe, I, I think maybe I want to, I want to sort of, like, I think that's what I'm going to say. If you ask me a little after, like if someone was to ask me, hey, I saw that you guys did a podcast on excision. Before this, I'd be a little hard pressed to really describe it. But now if someone said, what's the point? Like if you just give me the 30 second summary of the point of the film, I think it would be something like this. I think if there's any moral or lesson here or anything the film is trying to convey, and I think it does it a little sloppily, um, you know, it, it would be that, it, it, you know, here's someone desperately crying out for help and need and attention. And it's overlooked by the people closest to her. And I, I think that is a story that has been done in quite a few films, uh, but a little more gray in this one. Well, it's because it's a campy comedy, you know? Yeah. And um, I think that was purposefully done, um, obviously with the cameos that's it's shown too. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like I relate a lot to, I mean, well, I, no. I, I don't want to sound like a crazy person, Whoa. but I do relate a lot to Pauline. Um, I never went to that level of, of <laughs> anything um but i i relate a lot to the stuff that she's gone through and uh having to deal with puberty with a mom that wasn't really telling me enough about puberty and like honestly i probably could write a horror story about my <laughs> my uh coming of age um it, it it would be a horror story um but what's interesting is a lot of what pauline is doing is just saying hey please help please save me. I need help. And um, I can't even be upset at her because she's really obvious. <laughs> you know, she's, she is actually very straightforward with how she communicates it. So it, I don't know how she could be a bad person. <laughs> like, I know that what she did was wrong at the end, but it really came from a good place. She's trying to save her sister's life. Yeah. She, she wanted to be a surgeon when she grew up. She wanted to save her sister's life and she wanted to impress her mom. It only makes sense that she goes into the garage and tries to put her neighbor's lungs into her sister's body. Well, you said, you know, you said a couple times that um, her heart was in the right place. And I, and I completely agree with that. I think that, the, the, again, the tragedy of this film is that her heart was in the right place. It just wasn't coddled and, and formed the right way. It wasn't loved, right? It wasn't appreciated. And I think a lot of that, maybe not all of it, certainly led her down the path where she ended up in a garage killing her sister and the next door neighbor. Um, very, uh, yeah, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. I know, one thing I, I want to say there, um, sorry for this, this very stark disagreement about that point. Band. I don't necessarily know if <laughs> band. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily know if, um, her heart was in the right place because I, I, I know we talked about how affection in this film is, is sort of shown very selfishly and very transactionally, like, especially with the mother. And we have this sort of narrative that, you know, this is passed down generationally. And I, I kind of see the end scene sort of like that. It's where Pauline is sort of trying to show her engagement with her little sister in a, an extremely selfish way. And I don't think it's really about her sister at all. Like, I, I really think it's about fantasy fulfillment because I don't know if she's necessarily capable of feeling the kind of empathy that is required to to have her heart in the right place with regard to that kind of act, right? I don't think she's really trying to help. I think she's just trying to show how good she can be. 
um if that if that makes sense yeah i thank you ben you're you're articulating the thing that i was thinking too because i do think that there are like i i was having trouble with your comment shara because what i was i i understand how you could have some empathy for for pauline i it certainly um you know the things you've talked about associated with your own um adolescence that that all just, makes just sense come to me. out right out and tell me i'm crazy okay no no no. i yeah, don't want to do that no i'm not doing crazy. that at all what i'm i'm not saying that you're crazy what i'm trying to square is how i can both agree with you and also have literally no empathy for the character while i'm watching the movie and so how is it possible that i could be like oh yeah maybe your heart is kind of in the right place but at the same time as I'm watching the film going, no, fuck this person, fuck this situation, fuck well, this movie. Well, do you think movie. she was actually trying to save her sister's life? Within the character's internal logic, yes. But I think we do have, all of us as human beings have a responsibility to somehow square our internal reality with the object with objective reality right she like we seemed way too smart to not be able to figure out she needed more equipment in her garage she was using like kitchen knives that's not how you do surgery like that's just not how that happens um but i, I so yeah i mean i think I, I think Ben, you sort of hit on it. Like why why I'm having some sort of cognitive dissonance as I'm listening to, to uh, the apologists of Pauline in uh, in Sharon and Noah. But I, I think it, it comes down to me as like this person has a there's a divorce, there's a schism between the shit that goes on in her head and everything that exists in objective reality um there is and and as human beings we have a responsibility to somehow have enough self-awareness to know that objective reality is not what's the same as the fantasies where i'm an awesome surgeon and or where she is an awesome surgeon who's fantastically beautiful and also cutting off heads because that's fun yeah, I, I, I'm. I think the need for her to want to do this at the end really was. It was based off, I think, empathy for her sister. I get that. I, I just, I mean, this is someone I think who is not so far gone that she can't empathize completely. I, I don't buy that. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think I'm there. We see scenes where she's clearly distraught over her mom, saying she doesn't love her. She wants to help her sister, and I don't think those motivations are necessarily all tied, all tied to wanting to show up her mom or, or show her mom that she can do this one thing. Um, you know, that said, I do think I'm, that that, yeah, good. I'm not saying that she lacks all empathy completely. I'm saying that she lives, that there's, there are two different worlds happening here, one in her right. head and one outside of her head. And she has the inability to see the one outside of her head or at least give it enough credence like, that's what I'm saying. Not about, uh, like... But not she's been she asking for mental help. And if she would have been on yeah, medication, fuck, that probably true. wouldn't have been a thing. So is it even she's, her fault? Yeah. She she's the a brain. victim. Mm -hmm. she's, she knows there's a bridge that's needed. 
they can't take that away. She knows there's a bridge. She sees, I think that there is these are there are these two worlds, Jim. I think you're right, but she's asked for a bridge explicitly in the film. I mean, so that says there's an acknowledgement that I think I, I just I think answers that's that. That's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, that's a you're right there. That that is a fair point. But I, I then my understanding of this film starts to fall apart because I and, and that's not that's because I think that's the film's fault. I'm blaming them. Um, <laughs> but my understanding of the film starts to fall apart then because I like on the one hand, is this a story about a a, a woman who's a, a a teenage girl who who has a a world in her head that she can't square with reality, or is this about somebody who is seeking help and unable to um, have has a social structure that's unable to provide that help? I Dude, my, my response to that is both. go ahead. I, yeah, my my response to that is why not both? I, like I really kind of think that those two things really sort of don't clash as much as we think except in our tendency to kind of like try and put moral blame with certain characters i don't know like for me that that was a big sort of contention here is like who really is at fault for the story that unfolds and i don't necessarily think it's pauline if it is the fact that she has kind of like this thing that that is sort of neurologically wrong with her but having something neurologically wrong with yourself doesn't sort of sort of nullify that maybe she recognizes this like you know maybe i have a problem i don't know but that doesn't mean she's going to be able to stop herself um you know honestly i i really do sort of my my natural tendency is to put the blame with kind of like the the environment um and sort of like the things that surround her but in any case i really don't think those two things clash as much as maybe we free will versus determinism let's go there <laughs> just oh, <let's> <laughs> it's that's just where we're going to it's, i feel it <laughs> But I and mean, that, honestly, is it is it her fault? I mean, it's, it could be argued that it isn't because she was trying to get help the whole film and probably way before the film was even showing her stuff. I mean, we just get her at the butt end of this when she's 18. She could have been asking for this kind of help for years and years and years. And it's clear from their dinners that they're having as a family that everyone's just gotten used to mom being an overbearing bitch. Everyone's gotten used to dad not ever standing up for himself and just kind of sitting there and taking it. And they're, everybody's used to Pauline being a dirty, antisocial, uh, different kind of a person. Um, and I, maybe they had just gotten comfortable in their fucked upness. I don't know. But then who's to blame? I don't know. <laughs> Do we need to have a blame? Well, then we go into the free will versus determinism. Exactly. It seems that I'm. It seems I'm a little bit more free on the free will spectrum than uh, than the Pauline apologists. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe well, it's there, no, it, that's totally, it's totally um, fine. You were you were just determined to say that, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it uh, Galen had said something interesting in chat. I had to scroll up and I maybe pose this as a question as kind of a segue. Um. So, uh, da, 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 da. how would Carrie, the film Carrie, uh, how would Carrie without powers look as a cinematic story? So we take the distinction between Carrie and Pauline and Excision and remove the power from Carrie. Could we, could we compare those two in any way? What do you guys think? I think that's a really good question. Yeah, I, I think that there, there's a lot of correlation. Um, and obviously there's a lot of blood and puberty and uh, tampon, uh, you know, situations. It, it does. It does definitely delve into the Carrie world. Um, and the thing is with Carrie, um, 
I think it was very well written that she was being abused in that one. It's very clear that she's being abused because she's being thrown into a room, forced to pray for hours. Um, her mom screams at her about her dirty pillows and uh, all this other shit. Uh, it, it's a little bit more obvious. In this one, it's not. And I think that's beautiful because that's really how neglect looks. Neglect isn't necessarily uh, super obvious Stephen Kingy crazy characters who throw Bibles at their kids' heads. You know, it's like uh, it, 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 it's a lot more passive than people would think. And this is why it's a lot harder to uh, investigate these issues of, of child abuse or, or child neglect. Um, that actually you know, happened to me when I was a kid. I got hit in the head with a Bible. Yeah, I really did. I got hit in the head with a Bible. I'm I'm uh, I'm partially deaf because of it, actually. And, and I can actually Jesus, control are things. are you serious? Yeah, I'm dead serious. And I can actually control things with my mind also because of it. But no, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, same same sort of thing. Same sort of thing. Legit. I'm, I'm actually not joking about that. It's actually a very the serious deaf thing. Part, See, this is, this is such an excision hangout. It's like the, the laughter mixed with the serious. Thanks. Richard Jr., whatever his name is, the director. But maybe um, he's actually experienced some of this stuff, and that's why he can write it, and maybe why only certain types of people can understand what he's like. So what you're saying is, I got to be a little like Pauline to really get what this film is like. Is that maybe, what you're saying, Shayra? Maybe, maybe. A little Pauline in all of us? Hmm. I, I hope not. I, I really hope <laughs> there's absolutely no aspect of Pauline in my kid. <laughs> you know, I really hope not. Um, I just know that I'm I I am not qualified to perform major surgery on someone. That's <laughs> I I am well aware of that fact. So I, in that element of Pauline is not in me. <laughs> yeah, I I I think that that is actually a very interesting part of her character <laughs> that that she thinks that she can perform surgery in a garage of all places. She did have pretty decent stitching skills. I mean, she it was, did. I don't know. I don't know. And that's what she wanted really... her mom to pay attention to. <laughs> Look yeah. at the stitching skills. No, her stitches were awful. They <laughs> <laughs> should have been close together. They were sewed in. They weren't tied off correctly. This Her stitching was awful. <laughs> I, as a former paramedic, I testified to how bad her stitching was. Jim, buddy, buddy, she hasn't perfected her technique yet. What are you saying? She's just she... an apprentice. She hasn't pleased her mom completely yet, man. God, she's trying. She's never good enough for me. <laughs> but yes, guys... I think I think yeah. this is a, a a film where it's necessary for people like me because we've gone through some really fucked up shit. Um, but we want to laugh about it and we want to enjoy it in some ways like uh, yeah somebody else relates to me and i know that that sounds fucked up to some people but fuck you i don't give a shit <laughs> like we want to laugh at our tragedies and that's what this film really does well um and there was a lot of moments where i'm laughing my fucking ass off because i'll put it in this perspective so the popular guy he played peter pan in a in a film uh, a while ago and um he was very cute and i remember being young and being like oh this this kid's cute he's gonna grow up to be really attractive too and, and my daughter when watching it thought he was attractive too and we watched this and uh we're, we're yelling at the screen peter pan no peter pan no peter pan and and we're laughing about it and it's kind of funny and hilarious and um uh i need that kind of humor in my life i need to see things that are fucked up and laugh about it and i i think there's something to be said about someone who can write 
really fucked up shit in a funny way and make you laugh about all these things. Like having a girl sitting on the toilet, pulling out her tampon and sniffing it. That's fucking funny. Um, and anybody who doesn't laugh at that, I, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> like get the stick out of your ass. It's funny. Um, but uh, it's something that is necessary for some of us. We got to take dark shit and laugh about it. And it's, I think it is done well in this film. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I that makes sense because I remember when you started watching this, you sent both Ben and me a PM and you were like, she's going to fuck Peter Pan. And I had no idea what that meant. I, I had no clue what that meant. And I was like, why did Shayra send me this? Is this film messing her up that bad? I have no, I, I literally took me a minute. I'm like, oh, okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, yeah, going back to like the humor you know, tragedy distinction that someone in our chat said, like, you know, the, the one of the best scenes in this film that is that the last scene where she's holding her mom, we, we should probably talk about that, where they're screaming together. It's almost like that cathartic release, almost like a giant, I'm sorry. Like, like, like that's the, I'm sorry. I felt like, like that was like the release of everything in that scene, but it's too late at that point. Right. She's lost both daughters at that point. You know, I think that's the tragedy. And I, we could get into, there's obviously entire books written on, the connection between humor and tragedy and 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 loss and sorrow and and humor and things i think a lot of it, we, there's like entire documentaries on netflix about like comedians being some of the most fucked up people who you know all of that shit whether that's true or not i don't know but there certainly is a lot of that in this movie it's it's um there are certain things that you just kind of have to laugh at right but uh, upon reflection and in a very different context they're actually quite serious and they're horrible um, and I think maybe this film did that well. Like I, I shot on the film a little bit about like the distinction between these two things because I felt like one was way heavier than, heavier than the other. But I think having them together was, uh, it was a good attempt. I, I, I just put it that way, it was a good attempt. I don't mean that in like a super negative way. This film was a good attempt at bring, marrying these two things on a topic that is actually very serious. Um, as opposed to like, you know, we need to talk about Kevin, which is super serious. So yeah, um, yeah. Do you guys want to add so anything else? So I'm not crazy for seeing Wes Anderson in this, right? You know, I mean, that's his, that's his, his hallmark is taking super serious things and adding uh, comedic elements to it. So, okay. For a while there, I thought the idea that I saw Wes Anderson in, in excision was, was a little out there, but now I'm, thank you for, uh, Thank you for making sure that I don't feel that I feel less weird now, Noah. There you go. Well, I think it borrowed from a lot of important, you know, movies that we've had throughout our, our age. Like we could probably take all those little chunks and that's how he got his creative sense to put this together. Um, you know, that you see elements of Carrie, yes, but you, you see elements of American beauty too. Like there's there's elements of all different kinds of films in this. And um I, I don't know what the director has done since then. This is his first film that came out so i'm impressed with that aspect of it uh looking forward to seeing some what is the other one that he did uh first, this was his first feature length film right. he did uh in a, a short of excision before excision and yeah, then on after that it's uh suburban gothic and trash fires and then there's a short or trash fire and then there's a short called white lung below so maybe that's the sequel to the lung surgery at the end. Yeah, it, it seems like um, he has a bit of a theme with some of his uh, type of filmmaking. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing how he might have grown from this film. I don't I don't think this is his main film. I think that this is his beginning and it, he's somebody to look out for because I think he's going to be making some cool shit 
in the future. Yeah, what a, what a damn good first film. Uh, I read online that the actress that played Pauline like desperately wanted this role and was like, I'll do anything. I really want to be in this film. I want to play this specific role. And the the director just kind of waved her off for a while, but at the behest of people behind the scenes saying, no, you really need to give her a shot at this. Um, they had her come in and she just knocked it out of the park. I, I That's one of the things that I, I thought was so good. The actress that played Pauline was fucking phenomenal in this film. Like one of the things we have not been saying is that it, it wasn't acted well. By anyone, really. I mean, God, even Tracy Lords was good in this film. That was weird. You know, like, uh, but Pauline was, the actress who played Pauline was fantastic in this. Um, it, it it definitely didn't bore you, this movie. It kept you interested, um, even, even with the criticisms. And I feel like everything was just, it was interestingly written. It kept you sort of like, what's happening? Why? There was even that question mark that we were talking about as kind of a criticism, like, where is this going? That actually kept me interested. Like, what is, why am I, why do I care again? And that just kept me, oh, something's going to happen here. Like something, I can tell there was an attempt at telling me that something is escalating and something bad is about to happen. And I think it was done poorly. But when I started to see that that's what the momentum was leading to, something bad's going to happen here at the end, I was like, okay, now I'm really interested. That's when it became less of a of a dark comedy and more of like, I really don't want to know what's at the end of this road, you know? And that was an appealing part. That's probably the only horror element in this to me. I mean, there's a lot of psychology in this that didn't really scare me in any capacity. I think what, the only thing that really scared me in this movie was this is leading somewhere I don't want to be. Like, I don't want to watch what's going to happen here. Something bad's about to happen. And films that have that just sort of ear, just creep me out. I'm just kind of like, oh God, do I like, you know, something's going to happen. You just want to look away, but you got that one eye open. This film gave that to me dur the, during the third act. Um, and I dug that. And it was still hilarious during the third act too, which was really weird. Uh, one of the craziest experiences I ever had was watching Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2. I'll never forget it because I laughed to tears. Like I cried laughing in Evil Dead 2. And I was fucking terrified of Evil Dead 2 when I was young. And I la and it was the weirdest two emotions to put together. It was like you either watch Dumb and Dumber, or you know you watch some slapstick comedy, or you watch The Exorcist, right? But putting demons and slapstick humor together was just so weird and different. And doing that is such an art. It's very difficult to do. Uh, to me, I, I, I there's not many films that do that well. And so I've never, I don't know, anyway. So, but this was maybe like a, a kind of honing it in between those two elements. And I don't think it, I don't think it worked very well, but uh, I still think there was a little bit of fear in this film. I, I would imagine none of you really got particularly scared in this film, but were you at all a little creeped out or worried that something bad was about to happen at some point? Like, did you know this was going someplace I don't bad think it's not? a fear movie. It is a yeah. suspense movie. It is a cringe movie. It is a movie that's meant to make you uncomfortable and to make you very aware of the fact that there's some fucked up shit out there. And um, I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, jumped in scary. There was no jump scares in this film, first no. of all. So that's fantastic. Um, and, and a lot of the surprise elements of the film, um, they still were slow burning. I mean, you see her cutting up a dead bird to like practice stuff. You know that that is hinting at what's going to happen later you know that her sister needs new lungs you know what's going to happen but you're just going no no that no she won't go there no she went there in her garage after shaving her head <laughs> like holy fuck um so it's kind of great because you're going i see where this is leading but it can't and that that is really good writing 
that is really good writing because it's hinting at stuff, but you're still not believing it. And um, for me, that works for me because I, t I tend to predict movies, know where it's going, and I get bored. This one, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> yes. And time's a billion, so fuck you. <laughs> oh, shit, thanks. Um, I appreciate that, so. Yeah, that 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 was uh, a a very real tension for me in this in this movie, and that that tension made me feel a little uneasy. That's that's what I mean when I say fears, like that tension, that unease, right? It's not like uh, Annabelle forty seven, like it's not one of those kind of fears where it's like, oh god, I know what to expect. It's like, all right, something's something. I don't should I watch what happens next? Something's gonna go down, and I'm not looking forward to it. But um, yeah, yeah. Anything else you guys want to add about this film? I feel like this has really opened up my understanding of this movie a little better. Whenever we have these podcasts and it's a film that I don't think there's a lot of meat we can sort of take off the bone, we just sort of like rip a whole bunch of shit off that I never saw that was there. That's what I really like about doing these sessions with you guys. I'm like, oh, fuck, I never really thought about that. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to add before we close up shop? Yeah, Pauline's awesome. <laughs> Pauline, is, Pauline is awesome. I, I don't know about this, Shara. I don't know about this. <laughs> No, I, I, the chick who played Pauline, like, holy shit, this actress yeah. is amazing. Uh, oh, the fact that Anna Lynn McCord is awesome. Yes. I yes. don't yeah, know if I would say amazing. Pauline is awesome. Look at, look at, awesome. that is an amazing character. I, look, I am Kira impressed is, by the character. Gera is in the early stages of confusing reality from this other world. <laughs> See, she's in the early stages, little Pauline. This is it. Just as long as she doesn't have dreams about taking my lungs out. I know I smoke a lot. That's Shara, not the specific but... dream, but I do have some dreams. Um, we've, no. all, we've all had those dreams, Jim. What are you talking about? Okay, time to light up again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that even Pauline as a character, I think it's fantastic shit. Um, the idea of an antisocial person actually playing the part properly, um, looking the part properly and um i don't know she's she's endearing when she's praying to god and saying the stuff she says to god i'm like this this is hilarious she's amazing uh do i want to hang out with her and be in the same room as her no uh but she's a fantastic character i'm very impressed very much like how i'm impressed with hannibal like i'm not going to be besties with hannibal but fascinating awesome character in a film so i think it's a good character and the actress who plays her fantastic shit um I love that the cover of the film is, um, it has the Pauline and Pauline's Pauline, uh, her dream sequence, Pauline, uh, showing how she sees a difference in a world uh, that is really fucked up. It's, ah, uh, I don't know. So, like so, we, so we cut to excision two where Pauline is in a mental institution with Kevin from, we need to talk about Kevin. They break out together. They have a child. They break out together. They escape. Thus, it turns into Natural Born Killers 2, Pauline and Kevin. It just keeps going from there. It just keeps going. I love it. I'd yeah. watch it. But you know what? And By if the there way, was, Natural Born if, Killers is one of my favorite films, too. So, And if there was enough money behind this idea, you damn sure know Michael Bay would produce it and it would be out there. So, yeah. Yeah, that would probably happen. And then we'd do a podcast on it and all of us would hate on that film. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, be like, this is such a ripoff of true romance and natural born killers. No, Shaver's going to be like, I really understood Pauline though. And I'm going to be like, you know, we should have some empathy for Kevin. That's what, that's what would really happen. That's what would really happen. And and then Ben and Jim would be over there like, why am I on this fucking podcast? Again? Yeah, what I think we're just going to more and more make people afraid of us. And that'll be the fear part of this podcast. So. 
Yeah, so uh, so let's uh, let's rate the film. And we we've just for those who are watching, we've changed our rating system, much to Ben's chagrin um, and much to Jim's liking. So that's why I did it, Jim. I didn't. Yeah, it's, I either dream about you losing your Thank lungs you, or do you a favor. Uh, um, so yeah, uh, let's let's give this. I'll start. I, I selected this film. Um, I don't think it was the greatest film. Uh, I don't think it was anywhere near. <laughs> I don't think it was anywhere near uh, uh, at the top of my list. I mean, look, overall, it's not particularly scary. There was a little bit of tension that made me kind of wonder what's going on at the end. Um, but I, what I really enjoyed about the film the most was sort of the inside outlook. Um, I, I, we've said this in the last horror, or I've said this in the last few horror podcasts. One of the things I enjoy about the genre of horror is that it allows uh, it allows you to take a look at different worlds in a way that that is like just not appropriate in other movies like i if you if you saw this movie as um like you could do this movie i actually could do excision as a as a as a sad drama to some extent and and maybe even more as a suspense film but the idea of just being raw and brutal and grotesque and showing the vivid images in her dream and seeing all of that together sort of adds up to a horror film it makes it a scary movie it makes it a demented movie and that's what's so great about horror is it's the it's a much broader canvas to paint on and i dig that i think it's really cool that we can have these sort of conversations where we're talking about john waters as a priest and we're talking about a dream in which she's aborting a baby and cutting it with scissors like that's that happened in the same film guys like goddamn. and then put so, it in a microwave so it explodes so it explodes i mean that's that's great that's just lovely um but you know, I I I got to give the, the the imagery in this film. The 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 dream sequences were fantastic. The acting was great. Look, I'd, I'd probably give it a three. I, I I it's not particularly scary. Give it three stars out of five. Um, what is that? A six out of ten in our old rating. Um, I selected it because I felt it just kind of. It's one of those horror films that went under the radar. Like there's certain films that you watch it and you're like, how have I? This has been out for a while. How have I not seen this or heard of this? It's it's very unique. Um, and I, I have a couple movies on our list coming up that I think are like that. So that's why I selected it. Uh, it's in line with some of the films that we've been doing lately that are more psychological. This definitely was brutal and violent and shit, uh, as was Antichrist. But the, this one, I think uh, we're on kind of a trend of, of discussing sort of the psyche. Uh, and I think next, our, our next session in two weeks, two Sundays from now, will be on a session nine, which is also uh, in the same world. So uh, yeah, give it a, I give it a three out of five. I'm I'm gonna give the same rating. <laughs> Three out of five is an obvious for this one. Um, I, I don't think it's the most perfect movie, but it is uh, very symmetrical. I know that that's a weird thing to bring up, but I loved how much symmetry happened in that film. There was a lot of paying attention to putting things in the center of it and, and putting lots of color that was vibrant and wonderful. There was a lot of imagery that I will not get out of my head. There were so many cameos that just made it super fun, uh, laughed my ass off, felt bad for characters and empathy for characters, um, and also was very afraid of some characters. And um, it, it's it's a good all-around film, something I would definitely recommend to people. The fact that people have never heard of this film is, is huge to me. Like, this was way better than probably about 80% of the horror movies I watch, <laughs> trying to find a good horror movie. So... Uh, I don't know why nobody's talked about it before. I'm so happy Noah brought it up. I'm not going to give it like a crazy, you know, it's not the greatest movie I ever saw. But like I said, I see a lot of potential from this director. And I, I can't wait to watch other stuff he does and uh, see where he goes with it. But yeah, it's definite three out of five for me. All right, uh I can...
Either way. <laughs> okay. I'll go ahead and go next on this. Um, so I just want to say that thinking about this movie, it, it is a really good point to call out. And I think we've mentioned here that none of the criticisms that were offered were about the acting. I think it was well done in terms of the acting. I'm glad that was kind of called out. Um, it's not really something that came to the forefront for me. Um, but in talking about it, I think it's quite obvious. I think it really was well done from the acting standpoint. Visually, I do think it was interesting as well. And even the writing was was pretty good. I mean, there were, there were some interesting concepts here that were perhaps explored. Um, but for me, like maybe, maybe this is indicative of, you know, as you've mentioned, a director who has is sort of still developing their technique, um, but that has a lot of potential, right? So like in the course of this discussion, we've made comparisons to, to Stephen King. Um, you know, we, we've done a lot of um, really like exploring how this sort of relates to other stories that I, I would perhaps rate higher. But in making those comparisons, I, I think that's quite an honor. And if I were going to choose between more stories like this and more Saw Fives or, you know, Halloween is reimagined by Rob Zombie, I would pick this, right? You know, I mean, there, there's really something interesting here, and I think this is the kind of direction that horror needs to go in, even if this particular film sort of maybe, maybe leaves something to be desired. I don't know. Like, maybe I just have really high standards, and the fact that I, you know, this this movie is making it onto this podcast, I think, in the context of the ratings that we give, um, I th I think that's that's good, right? Even if I'm going to give this a two point five out of five harvested lungs or you know whatever like you know I, I think that's still pretty awesome and i think that's in the right direction because that's much higher than i would give most other horror in that that is produced today um you know it is super interesting maybe i didn't completely fully emotionally connect with it and maybe it just does seem like a good introduction for this person it is still pretty good now i do think that gives us perhaps another direction that we might take and this might be a conversation for a later time or even off camera but even if we could start examining these things by director and watching them progress that might be a really interesting trend to try and follow because i do see a lot of good here even if it is not fully developed yet so yes um i had two 2.5 out of five um it's going to be a recommend for me i think people really should see this because i think people should be watching smarter horror um and i think that's where i am before you go, Jim, I, I just want to I want to tack on to that point. I, I you're you hit it on the head with like looking at the progression of particular films. And we sort of organically did that with Creep and Patrick Bryce. Like one of the things if I went back and watched our like a year ago, one of our first podcasts on Creep. And we were like, here's the things we want to see in Creep 2. It'd be interesting to see if this is explored in Creep 2. And then a couple of those things that we talked about were done in Creep 2. And now in Creep 2, we were like, man, I like this evolution. Now for the next one, let's see if they take it in this direction. There's the evolution of the characters, the style of the of the film, uh, go, removing a little bit of the mumblecore elements. Like all of these, it's, so we should do that for some of these other directors. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, we've sort of only explored that with one of the other psychological ones, Creep. But uh, I, I dig that idea. I think that's awesome. I agree. I mean, I'm. I'd look. I'd watch another. Uh, another Richard. Uh, Richard Yates. Uh, Bates. Sorry, Richard Bates Jr. Movie. Um, certainly. Um, and and I'm I'm sort of along. Uh, so my my overall rating is going to be three three out of five stars. Uh, same as Noah. Same as same as Shara. A little bit higher than Ben. Um, and for me, the, the things that knock it down are, are some of the things I talked about earlier. Like, I think that this film structurally doesn't track in 
in a way that would make me fully invest in the conflict in the character. That said, um, everything that that all of my co-hosts have said uh, previously, I I'm sort of like and retweeting. Um, I I agree with a lot of the things that that you guys have said. Although I am in a anti-Pauline apologist, maybe because I am more uh, free will than determinism. Um, and and so I think that a lot of the themes in this film are interesting, and I recommend it as as a horror film that that people should give serious thought to. This is not something that um, can easily be digested. It takes a while for this thing to percolate. And once it does, there are some really interesting things that kind of come to the surface. So, uh, that's my, that's my overall summation of the film. I liked it in some ways, but was put off in others. So. Yeah. There's some pretty nasty scenes, pretty nasty scenes in this film. Um, Red not, wings. Not yeah, not not as much as Antichrist. I'll say there's some scenes in Antichrist that just ain't ain't left me now. I ever still once in a while I look down, make sure I'm still good because it's just an Antichrist. But uh, yeah, well, uh, if you guys uh, dug our podcast tonight, check us out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and for God's sake, subscribe to us on YouTube. If you uh, I, now Shara doesn't know this, but if you subscribe to us on YouTube, you will actually uh, be subscribed to a private vlog that Shara does called Pauline's Ponderings, and she basically just goes through crazy shit brings out little baby corpses and dangles them and talks about weird philosophical issues. It's actually quite amazing. I so really a severed head. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, all of it. And then as a bonus episode, as a season finale, we remove one of my lungs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad he knows. Now we don't have to, now we don't have to gag him and put Once him in the car. Once we get to a thousand subscribers, we will remove Jim's lungs. And and look at what they look like because you know that's a smoker's lung. It'll yeah, we're not out. just gonna yeah we're not just gonna take them out, Jim. That'd be that'd be sick. Why would we? we scientific. Wanna, yeah, we want to look. Want to look at them. God, it's for science. Uh, so yeah, uh, in two weeks, guys, two Sundays from now, uh, we will be doing uh Garrett's film, uh, Session Nine, which we have all seen and we all have opinions on. Probably all a little lower than Garrett's, but we are going to talk about that film anyway. Uh, so join in. And I, I'm sorry, I had to throw it out there. Sorry, Garrett, if you're watching this. Uh, two weeks. Uh, check us out on all our social media. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining tonight, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Peace.